Welcome to Bridging the Gap on Bootleggers Music Group Radio. I am David Coleman with you to tape the last episode of 2022. Really had a good time this year when when uh, the station creator and founder of Bootleggers Music Group Radio, Paul Jones, approached me about having a podcast this year. I was excited to do so. And basically he said, I said, what's the mission of the station, Paul? What's the mission of my podcast? And he said, David, I've designed Bootleggers Music Group Radio to bring people closer to God, one song and one podcast at a time. And as long as everything we do is positive and helps people and leads people in a great direction, then I'm all for it. So I've had a really good time doing it this year. And I have to tell you, I'm a little bit giddy, uh, not only because we are five days away from Christmas, which is a great time of year, but very rarely in life do we get to pay tribute personally or interview our hero. And uh, I get to do that tonight. And I'm not going to say too much about him because I'm going to let you tell himself tell you who he is. But there's no possible way that I would have become a professional public speaker. There's no way I'd be hosting a weekly podcast if John Namey, our guest tonight, was not my mentor all the way back in high school and has stayed a friend and mentor all these years. And I believe his beautiful wife is with him tonight and uh, Barbara, who is usually there making sure that uh, when it's technical, that he's in the right place at the right time. So uh, John and Barbara, are you there? We're here. We're here. And let people know where you are tonight. Canton, Ohio. And I'm sure it's lovely and balmy, Canton, Ohio tonight. <laughs> balmy is the word. In our living good. room it is, with the fireplace going. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you actually burn a fireplace, don't you? Yes, we do. Yes, you do. Well, yes, we do. John, let's let's just start by going back and, and let's let people know. Uh, a couple months ago, I was blessed to visit Canton and see you be inducted to, I guess, the Plain Local Schools or that whole area of, of that Plain Local Education. I guess you were brought into basically the Ring of Honor, which I think is pretty neat because it was in the beautiful new uh, stadium there in Canton, Ohio, where they hold the Pro Football Hall of Fame game and the state football championships. I think it's Canton McKinley's home field. And it was really neat to see you win that award and also to bring down the house. I I told people afterwards, as a professional public speaker, I've won about every award on the planet. And the only thing I would never want to do is follow you on stage. <laughs> it's it's too kind. nearly impossible. Uh, tell people what, what you've done throughout your life that got you to that point in Canton, Ohio. Well, you know, I think there is always a concept that when God closes a door, he opens a window. And what I always wanted to do, and I, I guess I kind of aspired to be this, was to uh, play football, college football, and maybe professional football, and then go into teaching and coaching. And uh, what happened was uh, in 19, oh, basically 1967, I, I blew out a knee and hurt my shoulder. So God closed that door for me about playing uh, any kind of major sport in, in college or professionally. Got it. And I decided then to, uh, to go into teaching. I, I, I was lucky enough to be influenced by the Brothers of Christian Instruction, who is out of Massachusetts, and uh, those men were inspirational to me, to say the least. I went to their school, St. Thomas Aquinas, in, uh, in, in Stark County, right. and then I went to Walsh College, 
which was also a college that they uh, were, were faculty of. So those, those men influenced me enough that I decided this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to teach. And uh, my first teaching job uh, was in Plain Local. I, actually, I student taught at Glenwood High School. And then ultimately, I, I uh, ended up being hired to teach at Oakwood High School, uh, the sister school to it. And uh, uh, when I got in, I mean, the, the funny thing was my dad owned a grocery store. So when I got called by my superintendent to come in, I thought I was coming in to interview and, and all. Well, he, he called me at my dad's store. I've been cutting meat all morning. And he says, John, come in here. I need you to talk to you. I said, well, Mr. McFerrin, I can't come right now. I'm down on my dad's door. I'm kind of a mess. I don't care what you look like. Just come in here. I says, I'll see you in 10 minutes. And he hung up. I go, okay. I, I visualize you wearing a white apron covered in blood like a skin <laughs> from the Sopranos. Is that true? That's exactly That's exactly what it was like. <laughs> you know, I took off the apron. My shirt was kind of, well, it was kind of pink. Uh, so, so I went in and I sat down in front of Mr. McFerrin. He met me at the door and he said, uh, so how you doing? I said, uh, good, good, Mr. McFerrin. And then the superintendent, he was the assistant superintendent in charge of hiring. Then the main superintendent, he came in, Dr. Uh, Fred Chase, and he, I stood up and shook his hand and he said, nice to have you here and glad you're with us. And I I, wait, what are, you, what are you talking about? <laughs> and, he, and Mrs. McFerrin turns me around and says, here, sign this. I said, uh, don't, don't you want to talk to me or anything? He said, no, I, I heard what you did already, student teaching. We want you here. And wow. I just, I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll sign. And I did. The first headhunter. Wow. <laughs> you know, I was, I was waiting for these two-hour interview sessions where they, you know, just tear you apart to see what you're all about. But uh, evidently, he had enough information on me that that wasn't important. So was it harder to accept that job or go back and tell your father you weren't cutting meat anymore? Uh, no, my dad, my dad never wanted any of us to do the business, to stay in the business unless that's what we wanted. And uh, he knew I had a love for teaching and he was fine with that. And so you know, went back, told him, I said, well, I'm going to be teaching. Good for you. Okay. And immediately we went back to work. Okay. You got to clean the block while you're here. <laughs> so I said, okay, dad. So that's what I, that's how I got started. And I was fortunate to work at Oakwood High School, which had a system at that time, they called it the Trump system. No relation to Donald, <laughs> but it was, a, it was called the Trump system in which you taught a large group of students, 200, 250 kids in one session. You gave out information. You then broke down that group into groups of 30 to 35. Then you further broke down that group of 35 to about 12 or so. And that was it. And uh, the great thing was, the great thing was, I learned at that time how to speak to large groups of kids. It's unbelievable what you actually learned to do. What's, what's become popular now for those of us that speak for a living, as you know, mm -hmm. you get called into a conference, you do a ballroom keynote for several thousand, then they'll mm -hmm. ask you to do a couple of breakouts to several hundred from anywhere from 50 to several hundred. 
it sounds like you had that training from your first job. First job. From my first job. And, and to be honest with you, David, I loved it. I loved teaching large group. I was very comfortable with it. Uh, some, some teachers stood behind the podium with a microphone. I never did that. And I learned how to project uh, speaking in the auditorium without a mic and moving around. I still used aids. I still used, you know, visual aids that didn't stop that. But I was able to move around and I love doing that. I love moving around on the stage. And I had two great mentors, uh, Beth Jenkins and Jan Fate. Uh, they, they helped me along that first year. And I was very, very grateful for them and for all the work they did. So that's how I got started and kept going. And then it was just a matter of taking what I did in the classroom and then applying it. And I was very lucky, again, uh, most fortunate to have had some of the most outstanding kids my first year, people that I could never have guessed could have influenced my life as much as these kids did. And they inspired me. I had one kid, and uh, besides speaking and everything, I helped our choir director uh, do musicals, concerts, and things like that. Was that Bruce Shelley? That was, that was Bruce Shelley. Yeah, boy, you two were, I, my memory is you were in, if one of you was in the hallway, the other one was. If one of you was leading something, the other one was right there. You got it. You got it. And I had a kid in my class. His name was Fred Reed. Fred would, would come to class. And when we were done with class, I usually gave him about 10 minutes to do work, finish up, you know, if they had any questions. Fred would come to me and said, Mr. Nemi, I, I have to go backstage. Fred, what are you going backstage for? Oh, we're putting on the musical, Mr. Nemi. And he did this for two weeks or so. And then finally he said, Mr. Nemi, you need to come back and help us after school. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's how my relationship with Bruce came about. I helped him. And then with me running student council in, in 1976, starting student council then, Bruce was with me for anything I did in student council. So we kind of, yes, we did play back and forth with each other. And, you know, it, Bruce was such a great friend. And I, I couldn't have done things without him. He just inspired me to say, okay, you can do something on one level. That's good. You can do a little bit better but it's not the best. And there was an old saying I, I used that I heard from a, a public speaker once, good, better, best. Never let your good be better than your best. Wow. And, and Bruce, Bruce lived that. I mean, he, he did not settle. I mean, I can remember being in the gym decorating for dance or for homecoming. And I'm, I'm standing in there and saying, okay, Bruce, it's uh it's almost 11 o'clock. I think we're about done. <laughs> oh, no, 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 John. We, well, no, I got, I got something else. Okay, Bruce. Okay. About 1230. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> we're almost done, Bruce. We got to be done. <laughs> but it was just that type of feeling that he always gave me that we can always do something more. And it really doesn't take that much. And uh, that influenced me as well to do what I did. And when I did anything, that was my my strength. It wasn't good enough. Had to be better. And and is this the best I can do? Well, believe me. I mean, John, I, just just in a couple of, <clears throat> I'll include myself in one of these three people. But believe me, it's not me at the top. It's me running third. I, I mean, 
when, when I was involved with student council and you were our advisor, if I'm not mistaken, my boss, Sarah, who at the mm-hmm. time was the president of student council, she's now has been for quite a while, a sitting federal judge. Another mm-hmm. another young man that you worked with, who I also mentored, he had both of us as mentors, but uh, Judson Lightly, who created the evolution of dance, who's mm-hmm. got, you know, probably a billion hits to his YouTube stuff. Now, one of the most successful speakers in the world. I've been blessed to be one of the most successful speakers in the world. And that's only three lives that you've touched out of how many years in education? 30 years plus. Okay. So, and I, you know, it was, it was really neat to see at your event a little while ago, there's an entire table of cheerleaders that came back from over the years. I knew you advised the cheerleaders. There's, there's other people. And here are all these other award winners, some of them on national TV every day, some of them from the military. And what they do as soon as that event was over, they ran over to say, oh, my gosh, we get to meet you. Those words were amazing. And have, what, what about words, John? You've learned over the years that words matter. They do. What, what can you share with our world today who says anything they want to at any time they want to? about how words matter? Well, I think words matter because we, we take them for granted. We don't realize that how we approach the world today and, and the words we use, especially the words we speak, have, have a lot of meaning to inspire and to encourage. The worst problem that I see, and, I, and I'm kind of glad I'm not in education as much as I was back then, of course, and I could see the trend changing, was the use of the email, uh, the, the concept that you text people. There is so much missing when you no longer hear the voice, when you no longer get a feel for what someone not only is thinking, but what they're feeling. Amen. And I think that's, that's one of the downfalls of our society because we just want to throw things. I saw it happening to me when when I was teaching, and we got this concept of the memo. Everybody wanted to send you out a memo. Like, okay, why are we, why don't you talk to me about this? Why are you just giving me a piece of paper? And, and you know what, 95% of the time, I don't think they really wanted my opinion. They were just going to be able to say, well, we ran this past John Namie, and he didn't say anything. Uh-huh. They got invalidated. We somehow got this validated by John. Exactly. And and I, I just never liked that. And and I had a superintendent, Bill Meese. Bill Meese was the only superintendent that ever caught it. <laughs> okay. And and he cared, he really did care about my opinion because he did one of these memo things to me, and I paid no attention to it. And I was supposed to tell him something on, let's say, a Wednesday. I didn't didn't call him, didn't say anything, didn't write him back. On Thursday, John, I went to see you in my office. I went over. I, was, I don't know what he wanted. And he says, when I send you a memo, I mean I want your opinion. I didn't send you that just for fun. <laughs> and I don't care how many names were on it. I wanted your feedback. And I said, Bill, you're the only person that's ever wanted my feedback. <laughs> and, and my first, I think it was, uh, Bill was my superintendent, about 20 years or so. You're the first superintendent in about 20 years that really ever cared about my opinion. <laughs> and he said, no, no, no. We always did. But 
you know, we kind of, we assumed, and I don't like to do that, you know, and the old axiom, of course, is, you know, you don't assume anything, yep, you know, of course, and, and, and I, and I learned something that day with Bill, and Bill and I were good friends, Bill started, uh, he was about two years in front of me, in, in teaching at, at, at uh, Oakwood, and Bill and I, we were very close friends, because our cubicles were right beside each other, and so I always respected Bill. And when he left, became principal and superintendent and everything wow. else he assumed to be, it was it was a it was a good thing. And I was it was honor it was it was a good honor for me to have him back as our superintendent in playing local schools. So, John, let me say this: your words it's so interesting. All I did a couple of weeks ago, and as you know, we had this scheduled the day that we were going to tape my my beautiful thirteen year old lab died that day and I was in no emotional state. We were going to do it again. And my sister had heart surgery that didn't go as planned. She's doing great now, but it took the time that you and I were going to meet. So we finally got to do this. But when I just simply posted on my social media, Hey, I'm going to be interviewing my, my hero. I'm going to be interviewing my mentor, John Namey. My media broke, blew up. It blew up my, my phone. My, like, what's going on here? Is there, is there 911? People from all over our past, our mutual past are going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, tell me when it airs. And I'm still not sure. I know that Barb's probably sitting there smiling and nodding her head up and down. <laughs> I don't is. think to this day, you realize the impact your words. And for instance, I've done 5,000 appearances all over this country, spoken to well over 2 million people because of you. I don't know whether to love you or hate you. I have flown about 5 million miles during my career. And this all happened because I saw you speak. I'm sitting in the theater. I'm watching you speak. You had soundtrack from uh, uh, one of your favorite musicals going on in the back. Probably you could probably tell me what it was, but you were you were speaking. And what I remember is none of it was scripted. None of it was because you had to look at something as a trigger. You were speaking from your heart with passion I'd never seen. And I knew I had to somehow do that for a living. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the concept, David. You're, you're exactly right. Uh, I, I have given many, many speeches and never, never, never have I repeated any of them. They always were changed to the audience that I was speaking to and to how I was feeling in that given time frame. Passion and the belief in what you're saying, that it matters to somebody, because you never know if you're reaching kids or not. You're never, you're never really sure if you're reaching adults or not. You know, they say that you can speak about 10 or 15 minutes and pretty much after that, they've turned you off, so to speak. So you never know, but you always hope that you can touch somebody. They might not realize it then. They might not realize it a, a, a month or a year later. But you know that maybe, maybe they'll remember something later and it'll make a difference in their lives. And you have, John. And as I told you and, and Barbara earlier, uh, I always drop two songs in inside the podcast, Paul and I Love To, and Again, the, the mission of the station is to bring people closer to God, one song and one podcast at a time. So we try to combine them. We've been talking about words. And so if it's okay with you, and I sent you the song earlier today so that you could listen to it, I'm going to play words by Pastor Bob. And Pastor Bob, if our station had a mascot, it would be Pastor Bob. He, 
I know you had a chance to listen to it, and I think everyone's going to enjoy it right now with us. So if you don't mind, I'm going to drop in right now. We're going to listen to Words by Pastor Bob. Were they true? The words that were spoken Were they true? Or were they just a token To a flame that once burned bright Deep to the night Giving you a light So you could see Were they kind? You know our lips can move Before we use our mind We just can't get a grip Sometimes on words that tear apart Words that break a heart Words that come back to haunt you and me Kind and loving thoughts Can be far, far away With games we like to play Words that we say So many times we say things that cause pain Words that bring shame that shouldn't be Can't you see If they aren't necessary Let them be For the guilt you may carry there in many ways throughout all your days and the pain these words have caused will go away That was Words by Pastor Bob. Welcome back to Bridging the Gap on Bootleggers Music Group Radio. I am David Coleman with my hero and guest, John Namey. John, isn't it, Pastor Bob is as precious as he sounds, by the way. Mm-hmm. He, he's just a, a great guy, and um, I believe he's the, the guiding light and inspiration for the creator and founder of this station. And I, I, just to give you an idea here, back in December of this year, I remember December of uh, 21, excuse me, I was sitting in Paul's office. He said, David, I want you to do a podcast. He goes, we've only got about 14 or 15 listeners right now, whatever it be. The other day I was talking to him, we've gone well over a million. So in a year, 
where this has come is is fairly remarkable. Hmm. Fairly remarkable. All right, let's let's turn the tables here a little bit. And uh, is, is Barb sitting there? Oh yeah, Barb. What's right it here. been like? What's it been like to take over for all of us who used to take up some of this man's time, and now a lot of it is focused on you. And if you want to talk about how you two met and got married, it's a pretty precious story. But Barbara, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, David. Um, I was not expecting to talk. I am not a public speaker. Well, you're just talking into a computer. It's really I'm just you and it's really just you and John. I have I have to compete with all. No, I'm not competing with anything. Um, John and I met by one of my 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 boss introduced us. She was when I first started at her agency back in I think it was '97. She was on a mission to find me a date, spouse, whatever you want to call it. And I, and I love that Nancy kept trying different people, whatever. And at one point she came back in the office after having lunch with John or meeting back with him as her old cheerleading advisor and mentioned his name. And I thought that name's familiar. I know I've heard it. Oh, I remember somebody at school was going to introduce us at some point because we, they knew we were both single and it just got kind of blown away. It was no big deal. Right. Anyways, as fate puts it out, we were eventually introduced. Nancy arranged us to meet at a Starbucks at Washington Square in Canton. We, the three of us sat, we laughed, we talked. It led to the next invite, the next um, date, which led to the next date. And that actually was kind of amusing because I was sitting there with John telling him all about my kids who were going to Glen Oak school or right. the middle school, the high school and their te- parent teacher conferences and just conversing. And we were there for like two and a half hours. At wow. John's That's a lot of conversing. Very conversing. <laughs> <laughs> so throughout this process, we had talked about our past and he mentioned he was going to do a, help me out with it, a, con- a, student, conference. a conference, national conference in this somewhere in New York. And I said, oh, that's where I grew up. I grew up somewhere in New York outside of Buffalo. He goes, really? Turned out it was the same high school I went to. The conference he was going to help you with is the high school you went to. Yes, in Lancaster, New York. You Google fate, that's what comes up. Exactly. Pretty much the definition. So I went along, I met a lot of OASC people. We went to Niagara Falls. We had Chevetta's Chicken, one of my favorites. And it was just a special time. All the time staying at my parents' house and letting my parents meet him. It sounds magical. Let me ask you a question. You you both know I'm the dating doctor, and that's because of John, too. <laughs> what I do for a living is we all just shake our heads. But uh, was John a good dater? Oh, how, no. how honestly do you want me to answer that? Oh, no. This podcast no. always promised my listeners that as we, we stay within the confines of good taste, but honestly <laughs> can stay within the confines of good taste. Okay. First first night where we met at, or we agreed to meet at John's Bar, and David, you know where John's Bar is. I do. We were there two and a half hours. We talked all evening. I thought it was going well. We wrapped it up. It was 10.30. I had to get home. I had kids at home. 
walk out their back door and he goes, see ya. And he walks one way and I'm standing. Oh my goodness gracious. (laughs) Well, anybody that knows John knows he's on a mission. Don Juan Namey, whatever had to be done next is what he was off to. He had to get to the post office to drop off that day's mail. Now the fact that your date lasted two and a half hours doesn't, doesn't shock me because you can ask him what time it is and you still get that response. (laughs) Exactly. So the next night he, or the next time we got together, he did take me out to a very nice dinner at Arrowhead Golf Course. Wow. Picked me up in that big brown nine passenger van. (laughs) (laughs) As we talked about the perfect mashed potatoes. And he may tell you about that at some point. I can't wait. But yeah, that was, that was the start. And then we met almost daily walking because I lived about six blocks from where he lived. And we would just meet up and walk in the evening with our dogs and talk. And Barbara, I've always wanted to ask you this. And I've been blessed to have some meals at your house with you two and just sit on your porch and watch a beautiful summer night go by or a fall, depending on when I'm visiting. As the years go on and you have more interactions with different people, you know, for instance, I remember I posted one of the first people, Laura Stewart from our high school days. Uh, John, I know you remember her. Tremendous oh, yeah. person, tremendous actress. Rusty Teal, who was a tremendous actor. He's gone on to be one of the best chefs in the city of Boston. Dan Sikafus, who was been Bye Bye Birdie. He's now one of the top businessmen out in L.A. I just visited his home, which reminds me of a Hyatt Resort. Uh, some people have been impacted by you. Barbara, what's it been like when you see him interact with people and they share what he's done for their life? It, it it is it's a thing of beauty. It always brings tears to my eyes, no matter where we are, who it is, when it happens. When we cross paths with somebody, and it's happened many times over the years. It, it's you know somebody will walk up to him and say, "John, do you remember me?" And he'll nod and he'll say, "Yes," but you got to remember, I don't remember your name. I'll <laughs> have to tell. But his connection with them is like none other. And he just... It's amazing. I have a... When I speak, and John, I don't know where this came from, probably from your influence on me, but when I speak to groups of people, I talk about true friends. And the things I say are true friends are rare. I think you'll have five or less throughout your lifetime. True friends are, are rare. Time spent with them is effortless. Nobody keeps score. There's no jealousy. There's no gossip. Everything is judgment-free. And you might not see them for a while, but the moment you do, you pick up like it was five minutes ago that you last saw them. And I've watched, I feel, John, every time we see each other, whether we see each other in golf or grab a meal or whatever it is, that happens for us. And, John, I've noticed, I noticed at the event, I've noticed when we're together, people just walk up and they start interacting with you like it was five minutes ago that they last saw you and it could be 40 years. What do you attest that to? Well, I think you focus. I think that I've always been in the moment. You, you care about who you're dealing with, who you're talking to. I think, especially when you are talking with someone when, that you had at a conference, you had at a workshop, the kids I had in my classes, uh, I think the concept always has been you focus on them. 
You're not focused on anything else. You're not worried about anything else. You're in the moment. And I think that makes a difference with people. I always believe that when you make them the most important person at that given, that given moment in time, that's what matters. That's what matters. You know, I wish I could remember more people's names. Every once in a while, I get well, lucky. World, we don't. <laughs> well, that's always been the problem, though. Uh, you know, I, I, have, I've always had a problem remembering a name, but I remember the face, mm-hmm. and I remember where the face was from. I, I remember those things, and I've always believed that was important. I, I would have, I would have loved the, the, all the people I meet. I would love to be able to come up with their names right away. Every once in a while, I get lucky. Every once in a while, I see somebody in the grocery store, and they say, hi, Mr. Namey. And I look at him. I says, hi, Greg. He says, you remember my name. I said, and I don't know how, but I did. (laughs) (laughs) That one given moment, it just came to me. But normally, it doesn't. And uh, I think it's it's the moments that we shared. uh, And I would always hope. And and people always tell me this. Well, Mr. Amy, you haven't changed at all since since I had you in class back in 1976. And I go, God, I hope I, I hope I'm not didn't look that bad back then. But <laughs> I don't know. You so, have aged very well, and I know yeah, yeah. that is because of the care you're getting from the person who's at the table next to you. And yeah. I've had several meals from her, so I know you're being fed well. Yeah, you got it. She puts up with your proclivities for a perfect yard and perfect, <laughs> perfect beings around you. But, but John, let me ask you this. And I kind of brought you on today selfishly because I thought if anybody could get the point across about this, it would be you. And here's why I say that. When I was asking you to be on this, when I did ask you and I had to send you an email or I, I had to text you, I also emailed Barb and texted her because as I learned quickly, you are technologically lacking in gift. So she she made sure that she got these things as well and would let me know in coming back. And I know that you taught during a different era. How do people who are working with children today, how how do educators, how do those of us who speak on campuses, how do those of us who are trying to groom them for their first great jobs or moments, how do we connect when everyone's nose is buried in their phone, their tablet, and their computer, and it's hard to get that focus from them. Well, David, that is going to be the $64,000 question. You know, I think it's very, very difficult in our age today to be able to get those kids, get even adults, to focus on the message, on what is being said being in the moment with that one person because we are in an age in which we put more we put more importance on the numbers of people than on the individual so how many people attended a speech not what impact was made on them that's sometimes what happens <laughs> you know and i i i was lucky i've always said this at my time when I taught, was involved in student activities, it was just at the right time. The 70, from the time I started in 72 until I quit in 2010, that's my wow. speaking job and everything. 
you know, I, I understood the concept and I think I got out of the, the speaker's business only because I kind of felt the change. I felt that I, I'm, am I getting to everybody that I want to? And am I feeling comfortable doing it? You know, and I think that's, that's a real key. You know, being able to place yourself in their shoes, knowing what they're going through, understanding that. I was I, I always thought I was a better speaker when I retired in 202 from teaching. I always felt my best speeches were between 72 and 202 because I had those kids in front of me every single day. When I left teaching, when I left education in plain, and then I continued with OASC for another eight years and public speaking for another eight years, I I, I always questioned. And I I asked and I asked people like you're asking me. Did did I did did I do anything? Did, did it mean anything? Oh, Mr. oh yeah, John, you you were great. Everybody loved you. Okay, well, you know, there's that standard where everybody loves you. If you know what I mean, uh, John. This is, any of us, any of us who speak. I was telling this to one of my clients today. I was coaching a client, and he had talked about he had a really great speech, but a couple people didn't care for it. And I just smiled and I said, "Here's the situation." You're going to speak to a thousand people someday. 950 will have given you a standing ovation and love you. 40 went eh, and 10 hated your guts. You know what you're going to worry about? The 10 who hated your guts. Why? How could they? How could I not have done a better job? We can we can do our best and, and just change so many lives, but those couple stick in our craw. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? It, it it again goes back, and and Barb just reminded me of it again. Good, better, best. Never let your good be better than your best. John, let me ask this before we break for our second song. You got about two minutes to answer this before. Actually, more than that, about four. Are there a couple of instances in your career? Does and for some people, OASC. He threw those letters out there. That's Ohio Association for Student Councils or of Student Councils that he was the executive director of, I believe, or the leader of the state or even the nation. No, no, state. State, okay. <clears throat> I'm giving you the nation. It's all yours. Ohio State. Ohio State. Were there a couple of moments in your career, do you remember a certain day as an educator or a time on stage, or do a couple of them just pop back where you go, oh. Yeah, I think... When when you ask that question, there are times when you are speaking, and you know this as much as anybody, that it it just feels the glow inside. Yes, you just feel I was able to say the right things at the right time in the right way, and you 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 feel blessed when that happens. You feel blessed. I do. And I wonder if you've ever had this ex- experience, John. I've never asked another public speaker this because I, I don't know if it's inherent to me or everyone that does it, but you'll be I'll be doing a performance. I'll be I'll be giving one of my presentations. <clears throat> Let's say I have 15 minutes left to go. I can tell that everything up to that moment has been per they have laughed every time they're supposed to laugh. They've gotten that look of concern. They've gotten a tear in their eye. I know what's ahead. And what's ahead are the best 15 minutes I have left. And I know how that's going to end, which is fabulously. You ever had that experience? And if so, what's it feel like to you? Oh, 
I, I've had that many times, David, to be honest with you. And again, when you are speaking from the heart, that happens more often than not. The speeches that I would always say I left something behind are those that would became more mechanical. They became just words, but they lacked that meaning and that passion and that connection. And, 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 and thank God I did not have that very often. And I'm really speaking back to when I was teaching at, at Glen Oak High School, uh, you know, when I would be doing presentations there. Uh, it was the same way in my classes. You know, I had a book called The Little Prince. Antona de Souveri. And The Little Prince was a very special book because when I was student teaching, a young lady named Julie gave me that book and said, Mr. Namey, you need to read this. This is you. <laughs> and I read that book, and that has always been my favorite book. I made the mistake of teaching it once in my classes, of, of it being a book that we would relate back to. And that, that, that class did not get it. And I did not ever share that book in a class again, just in general. I had to know these kids might get it. I had to know that there was going to be something there that would grab their attention. Sure. It became that personal to me. And, and they always say you should never allow that to happen. You should never attach yourself personally to any one thing, uh, especially when you're teaching it. Now, that was my only that was that was a major mistake I made then. But it was important to me. And that book, I, I think of that book. I reread it every once in a while. It's not very long, but the message in it is so clear. And it really is about the concept of teaching and then seeing these kids that you had for that short amount of time. And that's the same thing with my conferences, my workshops, those things that I did, being able to look at those kids and say, I know I got to say goodbye to them and it's going to hurt, but I have something to remember by. I have something I can remember about them. That makes a difference. It's fabulous. Well, you've made a difference in so, so many people's lives. If uh, I should have saved some of them for the, for the podcast here and read some of just the responses from people who knew I was even going to interview you. And it's a perfect segue because basically what people realize when they are interacting with you is that you're never going to let them go. You, you know, the, the relationships are still there. The, the camaraderie is still there. Uh, the connection that we feel to you is still there. And what I would like to do now is play Never Let Me Go. This is a brand new song by Paul Jones, who is the founder and the creator and the star. He's on every Monday, uh, Wednesday and Friday from 9 to 11 on the, on the radio. Uh, Paul recently wrote and has recorded a song called Never Let Me Go. It's not even ready for release yet, but he's letting me let you all hear it on tonight's podcast. So, uh, Barb and John, I'll be right back. But now we're going to listen to Never Let Me Go by Paul Jones here on Bootleggers Music Group Radio.
you've always been there when I've needed you right by my side I can always count on you you seem to know when to take a hold not let me go I know there's times when I push you away self-destruct yet you feel the pain but then you hold me tight pull me in and get me through the night so I'm not alone no I'm not to imagine just where I'd be if the Lord above had not brought you to me to hold me tight get me through darkest of nights so I'm not alone yeah I'm not was my friend Paul Jones singing Never Let Me Go. Uh, John, you can't believe, uh, talk about people who are touched by God. And I'm going to ask the two of you about that in just a second. Paul will, I'll never forget this. I'll walk in and I'll walk into the studio and there's a building that he just took over that he's turned into a kind of a, a speakeasy slash recording studio slash 
let's take in people that need help. It's, he's an amazing man. And I was going to clean him up one day. I was going to clean up the office in the area. And he goes, don't touch anything. I said, why? He goes, what do you have in your hand? I said, I'm going to throw that away. It couldn't have been more than two inches squared. He goes, see those four words? That ended up being a song. He goes, I get thoughts. I get melodies. I get whatever. Touch, nothing, get away. <laughs> so that's what I did. And uh, his faith has been remarkable. Let me let me ask this. Where has faith played a role, John, in your teaching and getting that first job in the impact you had on all of us in meeting Barb in life since retirement? If if it did play that, if it did or didn't, but where has faith played a role in your life, your career, and now in your marriage? Well, it's a, it's a major point. It's a major point. You know, God has always been the center of my life. Uh, I grew up a Catholic and I'm still practicing being a Catholic. Uh, God is, is ever present in what, what I do. I've always believed that. And again, it, it, it goes back to the brothers that I had, you know, brother Jerome Forrest, brother Dominic, brother Damien, brother, brother Ronald. It was kind of amazing. I, I, so you're good with names. You haven't forgotten names. Oh, well, yeah. No, no. Well, you spent days go. and days and days. <laughs> uh, but Barb and I were on a vacation down in Florida, at Daytona Beach. And we were walking along the, the beachfront, and there was a, an older man, older gentleman, sitting with a, a, younger, a younger woman. Later found out it was his daughter. And uh, I had my Walsh shirt on, my sweatshirt on. And I walked past him. He says, sir, excuse me, is that Walsh College from Canton, Ohio? And I go, yes, it is. I said, I, I, uh, I, I, well, I taught there. And I taught at, I, I taught at St. Thomas. And I didn't recognize him because he had aged. When I knew him, it was his first year as a brother. And his name was Brother Ronald. And uh, he had since left the brotherhood got married, and relocated. And we sat there, and we reminisced, Barb and I. Wow. Barb's going, oh, my God. <laughs> of all the things that have happened on Daytona Beach, that might be the first religious connection. Religion, it, was, it was kind of amazing. I mean, I thought, Brother Ronald, are you kidding? You taught math. And he said, yes, I did. I said, you remember when you, got, you saw me do something bad at school and you took me down to Brother Roland's office? And he goes, no, I don't remember that, John. I said, thank goodness. <laughs> Your record's clear. Your record's clear. Oh, good. That's good. But, uh, you know, it's those people, and I've always kept them apart because they influenced me so much. It's and amazing. I think that uh, that has always been a strength of, of me. You know, God is at the center. You know, God is, is one, you know, and family is second and, and I'm third. You know, just as uh, in the in the story of Gail Sayers and Brian Piccolo, I the same sure. same concept. You know, you you have to have, I think, having a faith, it allows you to believe in the things that you can't see, you can't touch, but you can feel. Because mm -hmm. if you don't have faith, you can't really feel the whole whole rainbow of emotions that come. Magnitude of life. It's it's the concept of life. When when Paul Jones edits this and puts it up on the station, puts it on the air, when he gets to here, 
he's going to jump through the screen. I wish he would have been a part of this moment because <clears throat> it's it's remarkable how his life has progressed from uh, his suicide note becoming a bestseller. He wrote another book to help people who have bipolar, almost giving up the ship many times to now creating something like tonight that is impacting so many people. So he absolutely will relate. I do. And I think many listeners will. I'm going to ask you to uh, change gears here for a minute, John. I want you to shake out your hands. I'm shaking mine. Take that, take that cranium that uh, we all love so much and swirl around for a minute. Get yourself. (laughs) We're going to have a word association. I would like you, I'm going to, I'm just going to make a statement or a couple of words. And I'd like to know the first thing. And Barb, after John's done, if, if he has an impact to you, I, I'd love to hear yours as well. So here we go, John. Word association. Ready? Okay. Retirement. Great. Fun time with me. <laughs> okay. That was a good one. John, what takes up, I think I know the answers, but in thorough brevity, what takes up much of your time as a retiree? Sitting and rocking. Okay. Sitting and rocking. I think there's eating, there's occasional golfing, and I believe there are grandchildren in there too. Right? Exactly. Okay. Next one, the Cleveland Browns. We're going to get there one day. Barb? Um, I'm a transplanted Cleveland Browns fan. I'm still a Bills fan too. Oh, <laughs> I- I'm a big, obviously, I live in Cincinnati. I am a Bengals fan, number two, Browns fan. But number three, uh, I travel to Buffalo almost every year extensively. And Damon College. I I consider myself an extended Bills Mafia. Okay, next, let's go. The holidays. Christmas. Barb? Making a ridiculous amount of Christmas cookies, and I have to go frost 200 cookies tonight. Barb, quickly tell people what you do, and I, I can smell your kitchen over the air here in Cincinnati. <laughs> what do I do full-time as a job that I'm going to retire in a week and a half, or what do I do all the time? No, let's go with let's, let's go with the holiday cheer you spread. I, I love to make cookies. I love, that's my passion, my entertainment. My favorite thing to do, and if you want cookies anytime, just call me. But I do, I for 30 years, I've been selling Christmas cookies to help support when I was a single mom Christmas so that I could buy my kids. So sweet. I'm telling you right now, put some in something that zips nicely tight because I want a Klondike and a couple of those when I come to visit. So have those ready. Right, you got it. Let's keep going. John, your favorite musical. Oh. Sound of Music. Oh, the music man! You watched it three times this weekend. Well, that's true, but Sound of Music is is, is my all time favorite. John, do you remember what what might have been in the background? I, I want to say it was more of a like a Far East or an island type of theme that would have been in the background when you were giving a speech that day. Do you remember what musical you might have used back in those days? I I used a lot of from Forrest Gump. The, the the soundtrack from Forrest Gump, I love that one. I use that probably as much as any. Is that uh, Middle East? Or, uh, no, it was a Middle Eastern. But, Middle uh, Island or South Pacific yeah. or not. But, but that one I use the most. I probably also used the uh, the music from uh, The Impossible Dream. I, I love that 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 song in particular. But I but the Don Quixote. And Sancho Panza theme, uh, you know, uh, the the key line from the book, from the movie, even they thank God they kept it. 
was when they asked Sancho Panza, why do you like, why do you follow that man? And he says, because he is my friend. Mm -hmm. What I remember best is, and I don't think many people could pull this off today or would even try. You had that music in the background. It wasn't overwhelming, but you could clearly hear it. But people stopped listening to it because what you were saying and the way you were saying it were so engaging that all it did was amplify what you were saying versus stealing attention away. I think that's a real gift that not many people, I've often told people, I would rather follow Santa on Christmas morning than you on stage. Well, well, I'm going to tell you, I I got that from a gentleman. His name was Dr. Earl Room. Dr. Room was out of Colorado. He was probably the finest speaker I ever heard. Earl had a magic with him. And as he would play music in the background, share his message, he would be doing magic tricks. And he would link the magic to leadership. Earl had a gift with him that was unbelievable. He influenced me so much, so often, it was kind of unbelievable. Because when I would go to a conference that he was at, and I had the tremendous honor to do workshops with that man. He was the workshop director, and I was a staff member. I would come back from his workshops, and everybody would say, would you stop talking like Dr. Room? <laughs> really? I, I sound like Dr. Room. He says, oh, my God, please just stop doing that. I said, well, and they would call me Little Room sometimes, and I'm going, okay, that's okay. But he, he had a way uh, of doing things, and he was so genuine about it. Mm-hmm. I think we might have talked about this once before about when you are on stage, when you are giving that speech, you give it, but you're, you're, you're kind of pumped. The audience gives you that energy. You just feel it. But so many speakers, when they leave the stage, they leave the passion and everything else there too. And they don't want to be bothered. Mm-hmm. I, I got in an elevator with a guy and I liked him. I'm not going to say his name here. But he got in the elevator, and this one kid, he he was mesmerized. He heard him talking. He just wanted to talk to him. And this guy looked down at him and said, hey, kid, I'm not on stage right now. Wow. We're done. <clears throat> and wow. I'm going to be honest with you. That moment, I decided he would never speak in Ohio at an Ohio Association of Student Councils conference ever again. I can't imagine because, John, what I learned from you, if there's anything, I, I believe there's two things I'm probably known for as a speaker. Number, I guess three, the reactions I get from my audience, the level of engagement I get from my audiences, and mm-hmm. how much time I spend after. I'm yep. fairly well known. If I was on stage for 45 minutes to an hour, an hour and a half after that, I'm still signing things and ask, answering questions. Mm-hmm. I believe I got that from you. and. Yep. Before we come to the end of our time, which is rapidly approaching, it feels like it was five minutes and it's almost been an hour. John, if I gave you two minutes to get a message out right now to people who might never hear you speak again, because I know that there's a rocking chair golf course (laughs) and grandchildren and coastlines and things like that. If you had two minutes to impact people today, and let me say your audience would be 15 to 30. So here's 15-year-olds to 30-year-olds. They're sitting in front of you, and I've given you two minutes. What would you say? 
That's a that's a tough question, David. That's <laughs> why I'm the host. I get to ask them and then shut right. up. You get to ask the tough questions. <laughs> what would I say to them? I would say, I would say, live the day. God's given us this moment in time. And it was a poem that I shared at my Hall of Distinction induction. Please do. It, it, it went like this. This is the beginning of a new day. God has given me this day to use as I will. I can waste it or use it for good. But what I do today is important because this day will be gone forever, leaving in its place something I traded for it. I want that to be good and not evil, success and not failure, joy and not sorrow, so that I shall not regret the price I paid for it. I think in our world, we get one chance. We get one chance to do something. And we got to grab that. We got to hold on to it. And we got to use it the best we can. We got to use it the best we can. We can't let pettiness, we can't let hate, we can't let prejudice influence us. We have to go higher. Mm. We have to go higher. And I challenge you as a human being to think, how can I make this place a better place because I stepped foot right here? Because I was here, and I want it to be better than when I got here. I think if we can do that, I think the world can be a little bit better place. Number one, thank you for the tear that I have in my eye again. And I even heard this two months ago, and I still have the tear in my eye. Number two, you also taught me well enough to know that when you end on a high note like that, we should drop the mic. But I want to... How would, and I know that you're an awfully private person now, John, and I know, Barb, that we've kind of connected and I've sent some things to you. If people would like to get a hold of you after hearing this, if they would like to send a note because they've heard this podcast, if they just want to send a message to you, Barb, is there a way you'd like to have that happen? Would you rather it go through me or do we want to give out an email address that you're comfortable with? And I don't mind if it goes through me. You know what? They're welcome to send it to John's email because that'll motivate him to go into his email. <laughs> Would you mind giving that to us very clearly and then we'll make sure it's part of it. Yeah, okay. it's it's John Namey, J-O-H-N-N-A-M-E-Y, all small letters, at N-E-O dot R-R dot com. Okay. John, Barb, thank you so much. I know it's been a couple months in the happening because of the things that happened in my life and uh, John, I just want to personally thank you for not only the impact you had on me, I was heading down some different pathways. You kind of grabbed me by the back of the neck and said, son, you, you get get in. What was it? What's the room up there that your office was in? Uh, 109. Okay. Get, get in 109. We got to change your life. And you did. And just think at least, at least two and a half million people have heard me live. Lord knows how many millions through the other different platforms and avenues that we have. And if you hadn't have been my advisor and friend and stuck with it, I'd probably be doing something else. So the impact you have on people is far and wide. It's been an absolute honor to expose you to as many people as I possibly can tonight who will hear this. And Barb, uh, the two of you are about the cutest couple I've ever seen. And 
It brings joy to my heart to see that two people who give so much, much love to the world found each other and give each other that same love. So bless you both for being on tonight. Well, thank you, David. Thank you, David. And you know what? I'll say this as a final thing for me. The same thing goes for you. You have influenced my life too, David. Yes, you have. I, I am so glad that I have been a part of what you are. And your growth. And your growth. And, uh, some and your of my, beauty. And some of my fondest memories in beauty. Some of my fondest memories are when I came down and visited with you in Cincinnati. And I still tell people the time we went to that that conference that you had me at yeah and i met the vice 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 president ringer doppelganger who was the exact dead ringer and i never had so many people respect me <laughs> like your yeah. students did you know if you'd have taught me better if you'd have taught me better i'd have come up with a new contract giving me a raise and you'd have signed it <laughs> yeah. that's exactly. all the time we have tonight you two i can't thank you enough and uh bless you both and barb um as, as soon as this is over and you start frosting those cookies uh one tupperware has david on it and, and put it next to the klondike, klondike bars and i'll be up december 26th 7th or 8th to visit Perfect. You got it. Good night, you two. Thank you. And on behalf of Bootleggers Music Group Radio, this is David Coleman. It's been Bridging the Gap. Thanks for being with us. Thank you.